I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. And joining me today is author Sari Botten. Uh, we're going to be talking about her new book. Or, actually, her book is a year old, I think. And you may find yourself, Confessions of a Late-Blooming Gen X Weirdo. In a series of candid, reflective, sometimes humorous essays, Sari Botten describes coming to feminism and self-actualization as an older person, second and third and fourth chances, and how maybe it's never too late to find your way, assuming you're lucky enough to live long. She describes finding yourself uh, later in life after first getting lost in all the wrong places. As she discovers, the wrong places famously include her own self-suppression and misguided efforts to please others and in parentheses, mostly men. She's a writer, editor, teacher, and the editor-in-chief of Oldster Magazine, an online publication destigmatizing and normalizing aging by demonstrating that it's happening to everyone of all ages all the time. Uh, Sari has edited the award-winning anthology, Goodbye to All That, Writers on Loving and Leaving New York, and its New York Times best-selling follow-up, Never Say Goodbye, Writers on Their Unshakable Love for New York. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, New York Magazine, The Sun, The Village Voice, and Harper's Bazaar. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Sari. Thanks for having me. You you know, uh, we're going to be talking about the book, but, you know, I found you online uh, Oldster Magazine, and I was so intrigued with that. It's And I, I'm actually not sure how I found you or what I was looking for, but I kind of want to start with Oldster Magazine because, uh, I mean, you're sort of, you're in the trenches with that, and you are, I, I'm finding that there are, are a lot more uh, even movie stars who are focusing on women, particularly 70 and older, but that's not exactly what yours is. You're talking about the aging process, not necessarily that you're 70, 80 or 90 years old. Um, and that's what's exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah, I, I've been obsessed with passing through time in a human body from the time I was 10 years old. So I'm 57. I'm definitely, you know, maybe late midlife. And, but this obsession isn't new for me. And so I wanted to come at it from a different angle than all the other aging related publications are coming from it. Do you know what I mean? I I know exactly what you mean, because as I started, you know, and I've read a lot of the authors that you've interviewed, I mean, some are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and I think 90s as well, right? Uh, You know, I hone in on my own age group. Um, and I, one of the authors, I think it was a couple of weeks ago that you had interviewed, uh, just kind of reflected all my feelings about the, my aging process. But then I looked to see how old she was and she was 10 years younger than I. So our chronological ages were not the same, but those feelings associated with aging were exactly the same. Yeah. I'm trying to include everyone in the audience, every gender, every age group, uh, because first of all, we're all going through the process of getting older as long as we're alive. And as long as we're getting older, we're encountering milestones that have meaning for us. And, you know, become turning 18, turning 30. These are, these are important milestones too. And when they're happening to you, when you're passing 
out of one phase and into another, it has meaning for you. And so I'm interested in that. I'm interested in every one of these. I do tend to um, include mostly people over 40, but I have some people who are in their late 20s, some people in their 30s. It always upsets the very old people. Um, but I do have a post uh, pinned to the site explaining that everyone is an oldster and everyone's experience of getting older is legitimate. And in a reason uh, that you touched on that I do this is because I'm trying to normalize and destigmatize aging. So if I were just to have another site where it's only women, only women over 40, over 50, it's a silo. It's an echo chamber. I want men and people of all genders, and I want people of all age groups paying attention to everyone's experience of aging so that we can, you know, stop making fun of older people, stop, you know, making it a joke of that, you know, that you've reached a certain age or, or be more sensitive to other people at, in their aging process, be less discriminatory. I have to say, I do, and yes, you're talking about a diverse group of people, which I think is obviously a good thing, but I do hone in on the women. I seem to identify more with what the women are saying as I'm reading um, their descriptions of how they feel about aging. Um, and I, I don't know whether that's the feminist in me or, uh, you know, I'm a baby boomer, and I do sort of look for the women authors rather than the men. That's being honest. I, I get that. And I, I realize that not everybody is going to love every post, but you know, it's that way with magazines. I mean, I subscribe to so many magazines and I don't read each of them cover to cover. I read in each magazine, the pieces that address what I'm thinking about, what's relevant to my life. And so, um, you know, I assume that mostly women are reading the women, but I, I don't know. I think everyone is probably engaging somewhat with every post. Um, they're at least glancing at it because it comes through their inbox um, or through the Substack app. But yes, definitely some posts are going to resonate, resonate more with certain people than others. But I also want to kind of surprise people by showing them things they're not expecting to see with regard to aging. What would you say for yourself or share that with us in terms of your own aging? You're in your 50s. You're in your late 50s, approaching 60. Uh, what do you what would you say was the most perhaps difficult part of the aging process for you? In your 50s. Let's start with your 50s. Um, well, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm dealing with some real um, physical, I guess, maladies. I have terrible arthritis, and I'm only 57. Um, I'm, I'm having a lot of pain in my joints, some more than others. I was hit by a car in my 40s, and... Um, you know, I, I, so that, that definitely makes certain joints worse than others, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing arthritis. Um, 
there's also um, age discrimination. I'm, I'm encountering that in my work. Um, it's partly why I started Oldster. I created a job for myself um, because I wasn't, I was struggling to find jobs and uh, I need, I need to work. <laughs> um, so you're saying you know, that, I'm, I just want to stop you there because you're saying in your 50s, and now people are, let's say, living into their 80s and 90s and some still working. Um, you found age discrimination in your work in the publishing, but to, you know, elaborate. Tell us more yeah. about that. Yeah. In digital media, in digital media, um, which, which is what Oldster is, um, I had had a job uh, for five years and I left as sort of a whistleblower um, when I was 54 and didn't realize that I was going to encounter um, discrimination. And, you know, I applied for some jobs and I received comments from the interviewers, things like, wow, I'm surprised a legend like you would be interested in a job like this, which is a way of saying you're too old for the job. A legend. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a backhanded way of being like, really? You're applying for this? Um, yeah, it's. I definitely have experienced age discrimination, and um, you know, it, yeah, it's hard to get a job at my age, um, and so I made one for myself, and it's working out for now, at least. And who I who has helped you the most? I mean, there has to have been somebody out there. Age. I, I mean, I suffer from age, or I guess suffers the word age discrimination all the time. I'm getting used to it, uh, but I it's it's kind. I think it's getting worse. But um, perhaps publications like yours will help so that it you know um, mitigate. Yeah, it will mitigate some of this awful stuff with age discrimination. Actually, age discrimination is the worst kind, I think, statistically, uh, the worst kind of discrimination uh, amongst all the things that we discriminate. Um, that it's really one of, yeah, it is one of the worst. Um, so who helped you? Who supported you? I mean, who? because we need that too. Um, who supported me? Or did me? nobody? <laughs> I mean, my husband yeah. is supportive. <laughs> my, you know, friends and family are supportive. Um, other other websites, um, you know, have been supportive. There's um, Two Night, T-U-E, Night is a wonderful website, a midlife, you know, for women in midlife. They've been really supportive of Oldster. Um, everything is fine. Podcast had me on. I mean, you know, the, yeah. there's a, a supportive group of, of women in my age group who are in digital media, who are all supportive of each other. What about now? I want to get back to also the other two publications that you edited, because um, I think you said, you well, first of all, in reading your book, there it's written uh, as a series of essays. So you don't have to read beginning to end. You can go beginning. You just pick and choose which um, essays you want to read. And of course, the two books that I mentioned in the intro, those two are essays that you edited, uh, which I, I didn't, I've read probably half of them in each one of the books. And I really, really, uh, I guess I, I enjoyed Thank them. You. Yeah, yeah, they're really good. Um, so 
you but the first book that you wrote, you got a lot of uh, feedback on it. it wasn't necessarily positive, right? Writers on loving and leaving New York. Tell us about that. Um, well, so that's called Goodbye to All That, Writers on Loving and Leaving New York. It's an essay anthology um, that was originally published in 2013 um, and is all women. And um, it was so successful that in 2019, Seal Press came back to me and asked me to reissue it and with seven new essays. So in 2021, um, the, the new edition was published. It's been a very successful book. Um, I mean, maybe there have been some people who've not liked it, but I think more people have liked it than not. It's, a, it's been a huge success. Um, and that led to a, a, the subsequent anthology, Never Can Say Goodbye, Writers on Their Unshakable Love for New York, which came out in 2014. And I'm talking with um, Simon & Schuster about possibly reissuing that um, because that's also been really successful. Those anthologies have really, really been well-received. People love the topic of how New York City is both hard to stay in and leave. <laughs> it's got a real push-pull effect on you. And I think anyone who's lived there knows what that's like. And so people have really loved those books. Uh, Never Can Say Goodbye is a combination of men and women. Um, and Goodbye to All That, as I said, is all women. And it's got Cheryl Strayed, Leslie Jameson, um, Ada Limon, our uh, poet, poet laureate, uh, Roxane Gay, so many wonderful writers, Melissa Thebos. And now, well, also, I think one in one of those um, essays, some, we were talking about New York, because I do live in New York. I, I go back and forth between Albany, New York, and New York City. Um, mm. and I know you, yeah, I know you graduated from U Albany. Uh, I did. Yeah. I, well, I got my MSW from U Albany. So, uh, oh. yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I think one of the authors, so, and I love New York city. So, but one of the authors said that there are people who are born in New York city, people who commute to New York city and then others who just move there. And that's kind of the population of New York city. And they all have different Perspective. I think that's what E.B. White famously said. Oh, okay. Um, E.B. White said that in, uh, wrote that in his essay, Here is New York. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's very true. All right, but now let's bring it up to uh, your book. The, uh, My memoir. Uh, your memoir, <laughs> yes, your memoir, and uh, which is also written in a series of essays. And... Uh, and you may find yourself confessions of a late blooming Gen X weirdo. You finally just, I'm saying finally decided to write a memoir. Why? Um, well, I've <laughs> been working on that actually for years. Um, I, first of all, I am just a born memoirist. I'm someone who examines my life through writing um, and not just my life, but the parts of my life that feel like, they are things that people can relate to. It's just been a natural impulse for me my entire life, and I've been working on this book for many years. Um, and the pandemic uh, kind of created an opportunity for me. Uh, there was a quiet lull in work, and it gave me the opportunity to finally write the book. Or some of it had been written, um, but to really, you know, put it all together. And... Um, I just knew that some of what 
I was experiencing um, other women and, and men, other people would relate to the idea of um, always feeling out of step with my peers, the feeling of being a weirdo. I've learned since I published the book last June that a lot of people think they're weird or weirdos. Um, that most of us actually think that. Um, so it, I, I knew that I was writing, that I was feeling some very identifiable things, that I had some very identifiable experiences, even as a quote-unquote outsider. Um, and so I just felt like I had to explore that more formally. And um, a lot of people have received it really well and, and told me that while our lives might be different, while they might not be from my age group or even my gender, that a lot of people really identify with what I've written and how I've written it. Yeah. Uh, I, I would agree with them. I, I absolutely would agree with them. I found that in, in the beginning of the book or some of the essays in the beginning, you are initially, or it feels like you're initially kind of self-deprecating. And I'm thinking, why are you self you, you know, you're smart, you're, uh, you're accomplished or you don't see yourself as that way and you want to, you know, be popular with the in crowd. But, um, but there is that kind of self-deprecation that goes through or that is, I guess, goes through some of the essays. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of my style. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of, my style is that I write about poignant things from a, um, the, through the lens of absurdity, those are my favorite things to read. Also, I I really enjoy finding humor in even the gravest experiences, and poking fun of myself feels natural. I, I don't I don't think I'm hard on myself in that way. I think I'm, you know, standing off at an angle, turning things through so that I can see them through the lens of absurdity and because life is absurd. And, um, and, and I, I just, um, always find humor even in, as I said, the gravest situations. I think life is really interesting and, and can be funny even when it's hard. Yeah. And that does come through. I think that's, uh, that's true. You find humor in all these, uh, sometimes, ridiculous situations, painful dis, uh, situations, whatever it is. But um, I, I'm always thinking as I'm reading about every, well, you talk about your, your thespian and you're in theater and you're a nerd and, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, that's really having done those kinds of things myself. I always thought that they were very cool and that I was, uh, you know, very special, which was not necessarily true, but you, you have, you, you, just do so many different kinds of things. And I guess you're able to stand back and laugh at yourself, but, um, and, and I, and being of a completely di different generation, I did, I still identified with you as a, a Gen X cause you talk you know, Gen X is a very special generation that is different than, um, baby boomers. Let's talk about some of those yes. differences. Yeah. Um, we were raised not by boomers. We were raised by the silent generation. And, you know, our older cousins were the boomers. 
So we, <laughs> we got all these mixed messages. Also, our parents went through the sexual revolution and the divorce boom of the 70s. And that also gave us conflicting messages from the messages that we first got from our parents. Gen X is a really, really weird group of people <laughs> because we, we grew up first with these parents who were very proper and formal, like the parents in the Dick and Jane novels. Yeah. And then they went through the divorce boom and the sexual revolution, and they all became like protracted adolescents and regressed. And, you know, they just threw out the rule books. And so, so we, we didn't really know how to be adults. We weren't sure what we were supposed to do, so we just didn't. We also were latchkey kids. We were like really the first big group of latchkey kids. We were left to fend for ourselves. Um, and our parents kind of stopped parenting, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, when they went through all this stuff, they, they became, I don't know, they didn't really know what they wanted, to, how they wanted to parent us, and they were also very busy dating and, uh, you know, redefining themselves. So we raised ourselves in a lot of ways, and, you know, boy, was that messy, and boy, are we messy now. We are a messy group, <laughs> Gen Xers. Maybe messy, but interesting. And when you say that you say you raised yourself, uh, actually, one of I'm one of my sons, and you're talking about divorce because I am divorced. He did say to me once, "I raised myself," and I'm like, "What? You didn't? No, you didn't." Uh, but uh, it's interesting to hear that from you. I guess that's a, that's a feeling of, um, I guess, the reaction to the way baby boomers or even, or myself individually, uh, what we did. Uh, yeah, that's, I can hear it from you, but I didn't want to hear it from him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think on some level we were raising ourselves. We were letting ourselves in after school. We were taking care of our younger siblings. We were babysitting for them. We were, you know, giving them a snack after school. I mean, we were really, in a certain way, raising ourselves. And um, it was both good and bad. It empowered us in ways, but also made us insecure in others. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to observe other Gen Xers. Yeah. When you observe other Gen Xers, do you feel that they, their experience, I mean, it is kind of a, an experience, I guess you are saying this, that this is the experience, the overall experience of the Gen Xers. Um, that it's yeah. not, yeah, not so unique. It's obviously your own experience and unique to you, but it's not necessarily just unique to you. No, I don't think it's unique to me. I think that, um, it's a, it's a generation wide thing. I, I think that so many, you know, I keep hearing my story in other Gen Xers, and I think, you know, the subsequent generations, millennials and Gen Z, they've had a more similar experience to Gen X than to boomers. Or I know that boomers and millennials clash um, a lot, uh, you know, with Gen X just kind of nodding along, <laughs> <laughs> not really sure what to say. But um, again, because... Millennials have boomers as parents, and Gen Xers have the silent generation as parents. Um, 
So yeah, you know, or you have some gen, you have some baby boomers though. Uh, well, I guess some, you, yeah, yeah. Some. I think that the older baby boomers have, you know, they their children are the younger Gen Xers, but you know, and these are all constructs. These these generational distinctions, you know, they're and they're not like, you know, hard. They don't have hard boundaries, even though like Wikipedia gives them dates. They're you know, they're, they're kind of fluid. Yeah, except there is the generation that totally has grown up with the Internet. That's a whole, I think. A, oh, yeah. A, a, yeah, a, the digital yeah. natives. Yeah. yeah. That's a big digital demarcation, whatever you want to call it. But anyway, uh, yeah. So uh, tell us more about, uh, I, I want to get back to the, the your confessions of a late blooming, uh, and you may find yourself. Um so after you finish the book, well, now I'm seeing we only have a couple of minutes left. I don't think I can ask you this question. <laughs> uh, why don't you give us more information about, because I want about Oldster Magazine so that people can connect to that, um, because I think it's it's a really important publication, online publication. And um, yeah, tell our listeners where they can connect to Oldster um, and also, you know, your book where we can buy your book. Sure. Yeah. Um, so Oldster Magazine, you can get there two ways, either oldstermagazine.com or oldster.substack.com. Um, and uh, I post there three or four times a week. Uh, there's a regular feature called the Oldster Magazine Questionnaire, where everyone answers the same questions. There are also personal essays and blog posts like Link Roundups. Um, and it's, it's a fun site with lots of different voices and perspectives, very diverse. Um, my book, uh, and, um, which is called, and you may find yourself confessions of a late blooming Gen X weirdo. Um, you can find it wherever books are sold. Um, I like to send people to bookshop.org because, um, it gives a portion of its proceeds to independent bookstores, but you can also find it on Amazon, um, and it's also available through the publisher's website, um, heliotropebooks.com. Uh, and also it's uh, on several ebook platforms. Um, yeah, so you can go there. Uh, heliotropebooks.com has it. Amazon, Bookshop, everywhere you can buy books. Um, and, and your local bookseller, ask for it. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. I've been talking to author Sari Botten, and you may her book is and you may find yourself Confessions of a Late Blooming Gen X Weirdo, and she is editor in chief of Oldster Magazine. Um, again, thanks for being on the show. We really, I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 